And now I want to get some perspective. If I may be so honored to have all the female nominees in every category stand with me in this room tonight. The actors, Meryl, if you do it, everybody else will, come on. The filmmakers, the producers, the directors, the writers, the cinematographer, the, the composers, the songwriters, the, 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 the designers. <laughs> come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look around, everybody. Look around, ladies and gentlemen, because we all have stories to tell and projects we need financed. Don't talk to us about it at the parties tonight. Invite us into your office in a couple days, or you can come to ours, whichever suits you best, and we'll tell you all about them. I have two words to leave with you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Inclusion rider. podcast about film and feminism. I'm Contrera and as you probably heard at the beginning this episode is about inclusion riders and other legal ways that we can make the film industry a better place for women. I'm joined today by lawyer Nikki Morris who is an expert in employment law to talk us through everything that Frances McDormand didn't say in her Oscar speech and then we talk about all the different ways that the industry can help people. Here's our conversation. Nikki Morris, who is a lawyer, or what we call a solicitor in the UK, and today we're going to be talking about inclusion riders. Frances McDormand was probably the first person um, on a global stage to mention the phrase inclusion riders uh, at the Oscars this year when she won a Best Actress Oscar. So lots of people were like, oh, it's amazing. People like us who understand the law were like, hang on a minute, this is a legal term. So can you let everybody know what an inclusion rider is? Okay, so whilst Frances McDormand did mention um, it on the global stage, like you said, which I think the Oscars, I don't know what the kind of global reach of that is or the numbers that, that listen to it, but it was first talked about by someone called Dr. Stacey Smith. Um, and she talked about it in 2016, and she was investigating data on diversity in US produced films. And it basically was showing, this, this, this data was showing that the casting wasn't representative of the population in the United States. Um, so 
she suggested not just inclusion riders. So she, she talked about a lot of different solutions and inclusion riders were one of the ideas that she came up with. And she came up with four different ideas, um, which we can go through. Yes, please. Solutions. Um, but basically, you know, she was talking about maybe an equity clause and inclusion rider being part of the solution with the A-list celebs, um, the A-list actors, but actually that there are other things that we could also do possibly as well, which is not just A-listers, um, it's also, you know, behind the scenes, it's us as um, viewers as well. Firstly, I think that we need to explain what a rider is. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, how I understand it, tell me what you think, is that it is in a contract for casting probably a big actor or actress, let's say. They have a number of stipulations as to how many days they'll work, how much they'll get paid, what how many M&Ms. Yes, Sorry. always. That's, that's, no, but that's always the best way to look at it. Like, what ridiculous thing. That's when we think of riders. It's about, not, it's about the M&Ms. It's yeah, about we the normally, yeah. 1980s. Yeah, which the, I don't know if you who told me this, whether it was you, but somebody told me that the original concept of the M&Ms was from, I can't remember, I want to say it's the Foo Fighters. Uh, what was because someone wanted to test that the people were actually reading the riders yes oh no definitely definitely read that oh it says here it's van halen brown Ah. (laughs) eminence van halen okay there you go so a rider is normally and it says here i guarantee the promoter had not read the contract rider Hmm. so that's yeah Yeah, it it was rough yeah so that's in a that's in a band scenario backstage at a concert. But what we're talking about here is um, a rider. So a rider is like, you know, a line in a contract. It's words on a page. And what we're talking about are words on a page in a big actor or actress's contract, which do something in order to make the film production they're working on more inclusive. So I remember when I listened to your first podcast, you were giving a lot of stats about women in film and characters in films and things like that. So she did a talk, which again, I've seen online um, and you can access it as well. You just need to type it in. It's really easy to find. And it basically is talking about those types of stats that you were talking about. So talking about a typical film has 40 to 45 speaking characters in it. Maybe eight to ten of those characters are actually relevant to the story. Um, so the remaining 30 or so roles, there's no reason why those minor roles can't reflect the actual de- de- demo- demography? <laughs> demography? Demography. I'd say demographics, but I like the word demography. I know demographic yeah. of where the story is taking place. Um, so basically, you know, sort of saying that, you, you know, you're just going to have a load of white men in it say, for example, but actually is that representative of that town in the US or, or wherever? But, I mean, she's mainly talking about the United States, to be honest with you. It is the home of But it of isn't Hollywood. just about women. This is the point. Her talk wasn't just about women. That's something because of the Me Too movement and uh, because of what France has heard about the all of this, and I think that that's what's been latched onto because obviously that, that is a possible solution. But it is more about equality and LGBT and all of that kind of thing. 
So, so just to plug myself again, so you plugged my first episode, thanks. Yeah. I'd like to plug my episode on intersectionality because that's the episode where um, I talked to Susan Hansen and it's about the intersection between coming from a certain country, looking a certain way, having a certain sexuality, being of a certain gender. So I think the inclusiveness that Stacey is talking about uh, kind of relates to intersectionality. So, yeah, if you're in the town... Um, you need to have like some black women or um, a makeup of um, the sexuality if it was to come out yeah. that's that's not just a hundred percent white men, a hundred percent heterosexual. Nobody, yeah. nobody's disabled. Nobody has um, any other issues which aren't normally highlighted. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so um, basically, she worked with uh, U.S. attorneys to create a specific contract language. She's been in touch with a number of actors as well about the idea where she's trying to counter the bias in the auditioning casting process. She said, ultimately, where there is an inclusion rider, it could give a penalty should it fail. So, in other words, the distributor has to pay a penalty to fund uh, to a fund that supports female directors or other underrepresented groups. So, if I go through the inclusion rider mm-hmm. and what I've picked out, basically what I would be looking for if I was looking at contracts as a lawyer, you right. know, just the main bits. Cause you always have like the beginning, and the end, which is just all the boring stuff. <laughs> it's just so boring. You read it. And it's just like, no, 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 cross the T's, dot the I's, whatever. And that's when everyone goes to sleep and your clients and the clients are like, Oh, I can't even read this. So let's just go straight to what it's saying here. And the summary is, um, okay. We'll audition at least one female, and one person from any other underrepresented group for all supporting roles. This includes giving consideration to casting a female in a role scripted for a man or one whose gender is unspecified. I find that quite interesting because when I've been listening to your podcasts and the whole Me Too movement and watching films, I've been thinking about that and I've been thinking about films and it's got me thinking when I look at a film and I think, well, did that role need to be done by a man? Could it have been a woman? I've converted one person. Hurrah! But do you do that? Can you think of a film, like have you watched a film recently where you've thought about that? I think about it every single time. And my whole life is taken up with saying, that could be a woman, that could be a woman, she could be a woman. Why isn't that a woman? Why are there so many men in this room? Definitely. So, yeah, I just want other people to start getting there because it starts from the script stage. I I like what you were saying about unspecified because I think that's where unconscious bias plays a part because if you don't know... um, if, if, If a lot of people, men and women alike, will ascribe certain characteristics to male or female characters. So if there isn't a gender, but the characteristics seem to be like strength or arrogance or, I don't know, confidence, anything, then some people might think, oh, it's a man. Or even a job title, police chief, anyone senior. So I really like the idea that People are already saying, what is the gender of this well, character? Well, just going back to your podcast, and again, I'm going back to one, and I don't know if it was yours or whether I just read this somewhere or heard about this, about having two female like action people in a role, in an action film. I'm yes. sure it was you chatting about this. 
Um, about actually having so so you either have like you know the main action like Wonder Woman and then you have you know the Chris Pine character or but you don't have two women doing the whole the, the, the hardest part of the Bechdel test uh, is getting those two women to talk to each other personally I think that if a film is if the protagonist or or co-lead is a man and you have two women on screen talking about him, then I have less of a problem with that than I do if there are if there aren't two women to talk to each other. But on the yeah. same side, if you don't have two women talking to each other, but you have a lead female character, then at least like make her a well-rounded character. But you're completely right in terms I'm of thinking about that, and I want to go back to Wonder Woman because I have recently watched it because it came out on Sky Cinema. And I had watched it before, and I really enjoyed it the first time. But I watched it again, and it's um, the girl from The Office who plays his secretary. Yes. Um, really annoys me. She plays this whimpering girl, like she's quite organized. But it really annoyed me that she couldn't have been a strong character. Why did she have to be like that? And was that actually in the comic? Like I, don't, I haven't read the comic book. But why does she have to be this whimpering? She, she exists in the graphic novels, definitely. Okay, I don't know if that's enough. I don't know if that's her name. I don't know if that's what she looks like. That's Lucy Davis, who's Jasper Carrot's daughter. Jasper Carrot's um, daughter. Yeah, who was very famous for The Office over here. Um, <laughs> I I have less of a problem with her because of all the other female characters where Wonder Woman lives. Why can't you do a reimagination of it? Just like. Um, J.K. Rowling did in The Cursed Child with Hermione. You know, just because we have these assumptions doesn't mean you can't change it, doesn't mean that person's still not the same or doesn't represent the god of war. Yeah, but the flip, the flip side of that is that that role does, didn't need to be a strong, heroic female character. Not everybody on screen necessarily has to play what would ordinarily be seen as a male role i like the idea that you have a variety yeah. of different female characters on screen because all women are different i agree i'm just trying to break down the barriers a bit and just actually just say look you know come on let's just think outside the box a bit that's all so inclusion riders Inclusion riders. So that's about actors. So that's about supporting staff, uh, support, supporting cast rather, supporting roles. So number one, uh, inclusion rider. Um, I will sign up to this film if you look at um, uh, a woman or a minority group for uh, every one of the supporting roles. Is it? No, it just says at least. So it, at yeah. least one female and one person from another underrepresented group. Okay, so we're set. That's a fucking bare minimum. We'll get one in a cast of thousands. Yep. Okay. Well, yes, but okay. I'm going to talk to you about her net. One of her suggestions, which I really like, and I think that you are going to be like, "Whoa! It blows my mind." Okay. The next clause in the rider is exactly the same, but it applies off screen. Okay, behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. So if I go to it, let me just bring it up because I've got it here. Um, uh, the interviewer is responsible, yeah, for interviewing and hiring crew will interview at least one female and one person underrepresented, blah, 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 same wording. So it's still only one. It's screen positions. 
Yeah. So if I was, you know, it's got three. It's got three. The terms should be carefully con in consideration with the existing pool of candidates, whatever that means. Well, that's fair enough. If you have no like um, disabled people acting as a focus puller or a key grip, then how are you supposed to hire them? However, I would still go back and say. I'm thinking big Hollywood pictures. That's who Frances McDormand was talking to. I don't think she was talking to any of us making our little short films, although it should still apply. I think if you've ever sat through the Marvel Cinematic Universe credits, oh. patiently waiting for your end credit scene or scenes, I'm speaking to you, Black Panther, then um, uh, you will see that there are thousands, thousands of people. And I don't think it should be limited to just one. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying in legal terms, you normally say things are in square brackets. So let's square bracket and put 100 people <laughs> if you're talking about a, an well, it'll MCU. Well, it'll be to what ben and, ben, and Matt, ben and Matt are saying, won't it? <sighs> yes. <laughs> Those those crazy dudes. Yeah. Well, I, I think I'm more interested in, like, whether Gal Gadot or Gal Gadot, I still haven't worked out what her name is, um, whether she can do this. Or actually, again, here's, here's another example of just sexism being part of culture. No, Chris Pine. Come on, Chris Pine. We need you in the second Wonder Woman and we need you to be putting an inclusion rider and say, I'm only going to be the male love interest that gets saved if you have all of these female people on screen and um, off screen. Um, yep. So it, this is for men. This isn't for actresses. They're fighting a hard enough battle. I, do, I know what you're saying, but I still think that it takes all of us. It does, it does. But I think that... I think women are already doing it. I'm not saying women shouldn't do it. I'm saying if all men did it, we'd change this. Do it now. Sorry? But remember, this is about supporting roles. It's not, you know, it's about behind the scenes as well. And that if you can be there promoting that. And she makes a really, again, this, um, this Stacey Smith also makes a really good point um, about behind the scenes and how she says that basically... Female directors, you get more female cast, you get more female representation. Um, or, or, and it's in particular with a female director. Um, and the female director, because she, she was saying that, you know, you always assume when you say director, it's going to be a man. Like, that's a role where you go, director, mm -hmm, man, mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm. And is that just connotation? That's that instant thinking, director, male. Yeah. Um, when you've got a female... It, the, the stats show that there are more women in film. Yeah, well, there will be, because that makes sense, because we'd notice it. But the problem is we need that male director to be doing this. We need Ridley Scott. We need yeah. Steven Soderbergh. We need Christopher Nolan. I love you, Christopher Nolan, but you make a lot of male film. I'm really, really hoping that his next film has a female protagonist, because... I'm pretty sure I've watched everything he's ever done and he's never had a female lead. He likes Marianne Cotillard. She could be in the lead. I'd watch her without a doubt. But, um, okay, so point two, behind the scenes, at least one person in underrepresented groups. Okay. Well, then it sort of says, uh, in positions, then it sort of says, um, it gives it gives like a number of positions. So development and production, director of photography, cinematography, post-production, editor, visual, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and it also says that they will make all reasonable efforts to ensure that any individuals auditioning or interviewing 
have a and they have a mobility disability can access the <laughs> yes. audition or the interview. Yes. So that facilitation. Yeah, how can you interview for a job if you're in a wheelchair and there's no wheelchair access? Yeah, that's, that's just clever thinking, isn't it? About making making sets and making casting um, rooms easier to get to. But it's one of those things that you don't think about just it unless it affects you. Just go to the movie producer's bedroom. <laughs> or a hotel room, yeah. Hotel room, yeah. yeah. Isn't that how it's done? Yeah. So, um, so anyway, then it has a next stage. So that's kind of like the auditioning um, Yeah, so that's casting uh, and production crew. Yep. So then it's like, well, that's well, it's more about the auditioning. Then it's casting and hiring objectives. So it goes into casting and supporting roles. Consistent with story authenticity. So this is where I feel like it's maybe giving it a little bit of an out. Um, and it's achieving high-quality high quality result. The director and casting director shall affirmatively seek opportunities to cast females, including females of colour, actors from underrepresented groups in all supporting roles. So this is an example of what the Americans call affirmative action. So this goes and further than I'll only do this if you look into this. It's like, I will positively discriminate against white men i actually knew we were going to go this way because it said the word affirmative mm -hmm. and the reason uh so basically part of my background and you explain that i'm a lawyer i'm an employment lawyer and part of what i do as an employment lawyer is discrimination um and i was going to talk you through a little bit about that and since you're talking about positive discrimination and we're talking about all of that I'm just going to go into and explain to you about what we have in the UK, because a lot of this we're talking about, we're talking about the US, okay, we're talking about the United States, and, you know, they, they use freedom of speech as a reason to be racist, whereas in the UK, you're not allowed to, you say something racist, that's it, that is, that is a criminal offence, so no thank you Mr Trump, we don't want you here kind of thing, <laughs> because if you say something, you're saying you're, you're, you're being a criminal, um, but the point about it is, is that in the UK, Okay, we have the Equality Act, okay? Before, so the Equality Act came into force in 2010. Before that, we had other legislation dating back from, say, the 70s, which was about, you know, discrimination on the grounds of race, disability, gender, etc. But what happened is that they decided to amalgamate all of that. Let's get this all up to date. There's a, there's a lot other, and they call them protected characteristics. So the Equality Act said, these are the protected characteristics this is what we're covering. Um, and there's about, I think it's about nine. Can you guess them? Come on. The, the, sorry, the groups. The groups. The protected, yeah, the protected, the protected characteristics. characteristics. Okay, give me, give me one. Give me one so I can set the scene. Race. Right. So gender. Yes. Disability. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, LGBT, sexuality. Uh, yes, sexual orientation, yeah. You might want to carry on in that direction. Oh. Oh, uh, uh, gender. Yeah, As in gender transgender, yeah. yeah, yeah, transgender. Gender I knew what you were saying, I knew what you were saying. Yeah, how many have uh, I said? Five, four, five? But then when you're thinking about that, and you, so mm -hmm. maybe, okay, so like, 
Okay, I'm just going to finish it off. No, I don't no, no, any... I still want to guess. I'm sure this is really fun for everyone to well, listen there's to. There's two <laughs> I don't think you're going to get, and there's one that you should get. Okay, say the next one, and then I'll keep going, because this is fun okay, for me. Okay, the one that no maybe one you're going to get is um, marriage and civil partnership. Uh, so discrimination, what, so against people who aren't married, or people who are... Think about those, well, so think about those B&Bs that are like, or those people... Yes, those people or making cakes. Yes. In the in the registry office that won't marry people. Yes. Oh, religion. Yes. Yeah. Or belief. Or now, belief. Sorry. Or you, spirituality. Can I tell you about belief because that includes philosophical belief. Okay. And I want to tell. Shall I tell you about a really interesting case? Because I did like a whole thing on it. And what is a philosophical belief? Okay. And there was one case in the UK where um, someone was an environmentalist, but it wasn't just oh yeah, I'm going to recycle. <laughs> or and I'm gonna to cycle to work and I'm not gonna use a car or something like that. Yeah. It was in every aspect of his life, he was an environmentalist. That is what he believed in. That was his philosophical that was his belief. And he didn't just do it sort of it wasn't just a whim or, you know, oh I'm gonna be vegan this week or something like that. Do you know what I mean? He was like, This is how I live my life. These are my beliefs. And and it was found that he was discriminated against. So that is potentially a belief. Because okay. his employer didn't allow him to behave in a way at work. Yes. I can't no. remember. I did this like years ago, but yeah. I was just explaining what belief meant. Okay. In terms of the legislation. Yeah. Does, that mean, does that mean being a Jedi? Like on the census, you know, all those people yeah, that said yeah. they were a Jedi, well, said, which may like or win. may not have been me. So I can't I think, remember. I, I think, think I might have said I was a Jedi. Whether, you know, you're using the force. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying. It's not really working. I, don't, I, don't, I, I think you know. It's you weak have to, in this one. Is he meditating? <laughs> is he rejecting yeah. the fear, which leads to hate? You know, all of that yes. kind of stuff. On that um, basis, fully fledged Jedi. Okay, have we Jedi. have we mentioned all of the groups? Um. So I think. Oh, pregnancy and maternity. Ah, oh, one very very specific to women. Yes. 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 That's that's really interesting because obviously currently only 50% of the population is physically able to get pregnant and therefore um, that is something where male directors, casting agents, whomever, producers have probably thought, oh, she might not want to do this job. But do you not think that part of that is the fact that many jobs particularly ones that involve filming and long hours and production mm -hmm. in the movie and TV industries are not set up for yeah. women to have babies. I think that if you're a one-man band, if you're making a short film, let's say, that would be the, the um, film industry equivalent, then you could say, well, if you're behind the scenes and it's only going to take us, you know, a couple of weeks to shoot this and then what have you, we can probably fit that around your pregnancy. If you are making a big budget TV series and you need someone on call for, and they sign up to deals now, you hear about deals, deals which are six seasons minimum. Yeah. Um, and you have a very, very expensive um, schedule and you have to make sure you get everything that. So I do a lot of work in... Um, 
the film and TV industry, and I know a lot about budgets and how um, you know you you have something go wrong, one of your stars leaves, and then you've completely lost a lot of money. I think that that that's not set up. You don't hear about that many crashes, for example. But and I think if the man's the breadwinner as well, or he's got that job where he's earning more or doing those hours, that. Um, you know, who, who's the one that drops the kids off at school or even at nursery or even at childcare? You know, how do you have that? And, you know, I have lots of friends who don't have families or parents or both sets of parents who are able to muck in. And, you know, I watch a lot of Insta stories of mm-hmm. um, celebrity, like in particular actors and actresses, you know, and I sort of see, what was it? I was follow, I follow, um, Jenny Molan, um, Jason Biggs' wife. She's oh, a she, yeah. she's a great. I, I absolutely adore her. She's fantastic. I love I love her Instagram um, stories. But she had a she had a work nurse. Yes. You know, and 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 she kind of you know I don't you know, and then she's talking about you know it was very it was very first world problems. It was very much this is something I've heard in Waitrose, which is you know. <laughs> when the wet nurse came to an end, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I thought, um, be like any other mother in the whole world, you know, um, and, you know, and, and Busy Phillips, you know, I absolutely love her, her Insta stories. Um, she and, has and they're three really children. Popular. She has three but children. She has, yeah. You know, she has help. Yeah. They all have help, you know. And at, that, and at that point, they can afford that because they're, I mean, okay, I know I'm not talking necessarily A-list here, but, I mean, they're not A-list and they still can afford to do that. You think about the actresses and the mums out there who are, you know, trying to make their way in supporting roles yeah. or in extra roles or, or whatever in the auditioning process. I mean, you know, and I think often they might get a call very last minute. Yeah. So it's thinking about that sort of last minute. How are you then going to all of a sudden, I've got to take my kid on a school, a school run. Mm-hmm. I was looking actually yesterday evening uh, um, at an Instagram story of Jenna Fisher, who's starting um, a new TV series with Oliver Hudson, Kate Hudson and Goldie Horns, uh, Kate Hudson's um, brother. Mm-hmm. And um, she was just, she was doing the kid, she was, she was going, I'm wearing a fleece, I'm doing the kid run. And I was thinking, good on you, you know? That's that's why social media has actually been quite helpful because it's where a list a list on big stars can show what they have to do, whether that's hire someone, use family, or you know what what they'll do. I think I heard a lot about Claire Foy when she was filming The Crown, how she was breastfeeding between scenes, um, and I can imagine that was quite stressful and then you also have the issues of how you look and how your body changes during pregnancy and so therefore you have to keep the continuity on on camera we were talking about the concept of positive discrimination what i was going to say is you are not allowed to do that in the uk it is unlawful you cannot do that but so so discrimination yeah there's a misconception that it happens because you think about oh the police they positively discriminate the civil service so any kind of these government bodies i think there's been this misconception and i've got to be honest with you i kind of had it myself when i'm an employment lawyer and i was like (laughs) i thought we could but actually it isn't what you you are not allowed to do that what you can do is take what they're calling positive action which is lawful which is what i'm seeing is this this affirmative action this is what they called it affirmative as opposed to like positively discriminating so you know what is positive action so this is what i'm going to give you an example of is um a manager can lawfully hire a black man over a white man 
a woman over a man or a homosexual man over a heterosexual man if they have the same skill set. Mm-hmm. So that, so it's not the same as just filling quotas or just giving mm-hmm. a job to someone because of that protected characteristic. That in itself is unlawful, but it's where they are equal, where you have that and you, you've got that list and you've ticked it off. And again, this comes to down to recruitment, where in recruitment, in any, you know, whether it's in film or wherever, that you have that tick list of, right, this is the criteria that we need to meet for skills. You know, it's nothing about appearance. It's nothing about what defines you potentially. Um, and so, so positive action, not positive discrimination. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, that sounds good. Um, let's hope people start Very using easy. it. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm just trying to think about how this could manifest itself. Um, it does mean that people will have to tell casting agents or tell employment agencies when they're going for these roles and they want to be involved in film production about these per- this personal information about themselves because mm. you have an awful lot. There's a, there's a new film that's just coming out called Love, Simon. I don't know if you've oh, heard about it. No, I, I just saw a thing for it. What, which was it about again? Reminds me. <laughs> it's just a high school rom-com but the lead character is a boy and he falls in love with the boy i've been thinking about why i haven't come out yet maybe it's because it doesn't seem fair that only gay people have to come out why is straight the default i have something i need to tell you mom there's something i have to tell you can can we talk yeah i'm straight i'm straight it's sorry mom it's true i like girls Different. Your dad is that. I'm in love with Nick. Mm. I feel like I've been raising a stranger. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Heterosexual. Oh, God. Help me, Jesus. Please. What's interesting about it is that he, in this circumstance, is that the lead character is a very good looking, straight guy. And they didn't hire a gay actor for the role. And does that bring up anything? Because, you know, it depends on how you see acting, but you could argue that, you know, it might be easier for a gay guy to play a gay guy. And there's there's been a long history of straight actors of both genders um, uh, playing gay characters. For example, um, Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett in Carol. They're both heterosexual. Uh, um, Rooney Mara's dating Joaquin Phoenix and Kate Blanchett's married So um, uh, to a man. Um, and um, so I, I, I like the idea of, of this kind of positive action, but uh, I think that more people need to be including this in their contracts in order for it to really take effect. No, absolutely. But then that's why these inclusion riders are only one aspect, and this is the only one. You know, that's the one thing that's been that obviously from 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 the Oscar speech that's been you know seized on. But you know, there there are lots of other things. Um, anyway, so that's the first part of the car, uh, casting and hiring objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, the second sort of uh, point um, in this inclusion rider. 
says, wherever possible, the director and casting director will select qualified members of underrepresented groups for supporting roles in a manner that matches the expected demographics of the film's settings. Oh. So, so this is what we were talking about at the very start, weren't we? About what Stacey Smith was talking about to start with, about the demographics and this actually being representative. What's actually going on out there, as opposed to what a white male thinks is going on in the I world. think with gender, that that works pretty well. Why are men all in these? But I don't know. That not there a... Doesn't this get into the territory of what what life is like at the moment versus what life should be sometimes i think it's almost film film's purpose cinema's purpose and duty is to paint the world as we want it to be not how it is but do you not think it's how ever the because you know i keep saying white male but i just feel that it is very dominated by white men and that's how they perceive it because mm-hmm. that's the little groups that they hang around with and that's the world that they live in and i kind of think oh, i don't know i don't know is it is it if you took films um in the last 20 years as representative of the population of the world you would think that it's 70 percent male at least that's what's interesting when there are actually more women than men in the world. Absolutely. That was from your first podcast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Something stay. <laughs> but I think as well that I was I was looking I was just thinking about what you said just then from a race perspective which is like if you look at Black Panther, if you look at Get Out, you know, there is this new wave of really high production value and very commercially successful films aimed at an African American people of colour market. Um but I think that I wanted to see those films and I think that you have to tread a really careful line which is Absolutely, should there be more people of colour on film, without a doubt, and particularly, in my opinion, more women of colour, because that's the, the, apart from maybe disabled, that's probably the least represented group in all the kind of minorities. So absolutely that. But also, I think when they start talking about target audience, shouldn't we get to a point where we're not scared of, of that, like, that a target audience would suggest that more women than men want to watch a certain film, more uh, black people versus white people want to watch a film, more Asian people, more, you know, Love, Simon, uh, oh, it's about a gay romance, so therefore more gay people will watch it, and Call Me By Your Name, which was also really, really well, successful. No, so I went to go and see Lady Bird the other day, mm-hmm. and uh, my husband asks, you know, who's in it, what's it about, and he went, oh, it's Chick Flick then. And I just went, just go with it. And it's like, it's just a story. Yeah, okay. I mean, obviously, I definitely identified because she was growing up in the 90s, hugely identified with her. But um, not kind of in the, I wasn't that angsty, to be honest with you, with my parents. But, you know, it was the whole, you know, Alanis Morissette music and the whole whole vibe of it. But, um, you know, he did enjoy it. It was really good. He recognised what a great performance from Saoirse Ronan. And like all her performances, like say, for example, you know, Brooklyn, which we then watched about a week later again. We, I mean, we've seen it quite a few times now, but, um, it, but it is that initial reaction of, oh, it's, oh, it's a chick flick, is it? He is he a white man <laughs> as well. I think it's fair to put oh, that out yeah. there. 
Do um, not even get going on him because he is like the epitome <laughs> of white male privilege. Well, your job can be to try and um, convert him over to the good side, mm-hmm. to the Jedi, to the to the gender Jedi. He's definitely got fit. He's definitely he's definitely going towards the dark side. <laughs> um, I yeah, well, I think that that's the problem that we're dealing with is that stereotypes that are ingrained in society in our minds. There are a lot of older female actresses out there who have all come out of the woodwork and said, "Oh, stop hounding men." Um, no, we shouldn't be doing this. And I think it's because they lived in a world where they had to capitulate and capitulate mm-hmm. and make themselves smaller. And it was so drummed within them, they're now like, well, I think this is ridiculous. But there are more films with older women in it now. Yeah, absolutely. They're being represented, but they're coming out and calling for... Um, yeah. Like, you know, they're defending the male directors yeah. and producers that were the actual... Co- it's a Stockholm Have syndrome. they been conditioned? Yeah, that's exactly what it is, a conditioning. So, yeah, we're trying to meet them with stories that work for them and for older men as well. But, you know, the, the grey pound or the grey dollar is a, is a huge market because um, people who are retired have more time to go to the cinema and people are living for longer with disposable income that they'd like I to... Mean- I just have this massive issue in terms of when, we, when we're talking about that kind of stuff, like um, just to go to an example, because I think it's quite interesting. So my husband's the criminal defence lawyer and he does really serious cases and he does defence work in particular serious sexual offences. So, for example, rape. So, of course, part of his job is to say, especially with historic cases, well, why is she bringing this up now? If it was that bad, why didn't she bring it up at the time? And I can see what he's trying to do is come up with a defence. He needs to be able... And and to be fair, you know, there are some cases where there have been girls who have lied and then they've then been prosecuted. But overall, the majority... I mean, you know... This is the I problem, he's yeah. doing, But his attitude, and he says... Well, you know, I watched this uh, documentary. Did you watch it? It was on Weinstein. And, um, you know, they knew what they were doing when they went to the hotel room. And I'm like, I I wish life was black and white like that. I wish that you could put those two in there. But I don't think that... I think that if I was potentially trying to get into film or something was happening, I think I might have ended up doing that. Doesn't mean I would have ended up actually doing anything with him, but I could see myself going up to that hotel room thinking, well, I'm just going to stand strong. It might happen. But if I annoy him, I'm never going to get anywhere in in the industry. And I'm going to be black. You know, what I want to do, my love, this career that I want to do, I'm going to be black marks. We need to... is that I don't think he sees that because and then this is where he goes to white male privilege because he's never had he will never experience that ever no it's um I always tell people about the episode of the guilty feminist a very good podcast where Deborah Francis White who has been leading the podcast for a couple of years now and is very very funny and and really clued up on um feminism in the media industry talks about the doors that are automatically open so if you're talking about making a film Mm. that what we want with inclusion riders is to open those doors a man wants to make a film there are five sets of double doors before he can get in the room where he can he's a director let's say before he can get in the room and um make the film so he probably has to push his way through one set of double doors um which are 
which relate to have you made a film before, do you know what you're doing, can you be trusted with the budget. If he gets through those set of double doors, he'll probably be fine. And as we've seen with a lot of absolutely terrible films from male filmmakers, even if you completely ruin a film, you might still be given budget to make another one because they'll let you have another chance. Then you talk about a... So then you might talk about... I would probably put black men and Asian male, men, non-white men in the next category. They have a, a, a couple of doors shut because of their race. And so it will be, are we sure we want someone of this race? Do they know how to tell this story because we've got a lot of white men in it? So if they make it through that door, then they get through into the room and they can make their movie. And then you have um, white women, and they have about 10 doors to get through because they've got to say, you sure can be trusted with the budget? You've never made a film before. Well, of course, you've never made a film before because people don't hire women to make films. Um, uh, are you sure you have the skills? Are you sure you, uh, you know, have you got a, a male editor and a male cinematographer? Then you generally talk about, yeah, um, women of colour generally. They have even more doors, which is like, you haven't had any experience and this isn't going to represent your demographic. So I, I think, yeah, white male privilege is, is very much rife in the industry. And it's because those doors are all open, because they're opened by other white men who keep them open for their friends or for people they recognise. Now, going back to Weinstein and your burgeoning film career, where um, <laughs> you would solicit in another sense of the word. Um, that's my defamatory statement right there. Um, uh, I think that what we want to get to is where that's not possibly an option. I think that's, that's where these older women are defending Mm. Um, the, the system because they haven't realised that the system's broken. They're saying, well, if you were part of this and everyone there was a man and that you, you got to use your sexuality, then you're clever. You can do that to get an edge over other actresses and get that part. And I can totally see that happening, but nobody stopped to think and, and show people up. People had so much riding on this that they but also, it's possibly... what believe, but it comes down to that belief as well. Well, and also, and yeah, all, yeah, you know, is 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 just all about that. But um, but I, but everything you're saying, I still want to go back to the other points when we come out of exclusion riders because yeah, um, something that you said about it and about the doors and how many people and and da 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 da, and I think like um, it was really interesting. But I just want to go back to the inclusion rider because yeah. And just wrap that up, actually, because I think we've really touched on the main points of it. But one of the things that it does say when it's talking about um, the demographics we were talking about in a film setting is it says here that the um, what it's suggesting is that the director and casting director actually rely on. So this is, again, for the US on state by state demographics to determine the representational percentages and will rely on nationwide demographics state, if state-by-state state data isn't available. So it's going quite far in terms of saying, if you're not sure on, on how you're going to do all of this, this is where you're going to go, and this is what you need to have a look at. We're going to help you out here. You know, you've got no excuse. This is, this is how you're going to determine those demographics. In America, I would probably call this the Georgia effect. There are a lot of shows that are filmed in Georgia because I think it's um, it's quite... Um, it has like tax breaks or something for film producers. Uh, I know they're from The Walking Dead there, for example. But how many members of The, the Walking Dead's quite good, actually, because it has quite a few um, 
black cast members. It could probably still do better. But um, that's because demographics within Georgia um, are like that. And I can see how that would work in America. I think over here, I'd call this the Notting Hill effect, which (laughs) is Hugh Grant walking around this apparently uber uber white area and for anyone who's ever been to hey he had a disabled friend well yeah there you go you let one woman die in the street and another rot in the freezer god knows you deserve worse going back to the inclusion rider and just tying this all up um how do they enforce the inclusion rider if it fails what happens if it fails and we're talking about penalties and we're talking and they're talking about you know um the producer production company distributor making a payment, a financial penalty, where they make a payment into a fund for underrepresented people, um, for those protected characteristics that we were talking about. So what are the, what penalties can be applied if people do not enforce the inclusion rider? Um, So it says here, if the determination is made that the studio has failed to comply in good faith, the studio shall make a contribution of X, Y, Z, and it says insert scale. The contribution will be used to establish and endow a scholarship fund for filmmakers from underrepresented backgrounds, including females, to be overseen and administered by so-and-so. So um, that's brilliant. That's and- really good news. So it's it's you will put in an inclusion rider in your agreement that says we will get more people in from underrepresented groups, both in front of the camera and behind the camera. And if you agree to this and everyone signs off, if you don't do this, we'll still be helping people because you have to give us a portion of money, which -hmm. will then be used to make sure those people can do their jobs. It's a, it's a nice system. I approve. It's a start. Because, it, like I said, it's one of many solutions, and I think that that in itself isn't going to resolve the situation. I think it's there. I think it's it's something that these A-list stars, the leading stars in films, can do, and they, that's how they can contribute. But they alone cannot do it. It is changing uh, a, a way of thinking. It is changing that unconscious bias um, that we all have, and it's not just in film, it's in lots and lots of industries. And actually, um, one of the things that's being talked about, and, and if you go online, you can see it, it's talking about doing it in agencies, for example, in brands, in fashion, in so many different industries, not just reserved for film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, this is, Inclusion Rider doesn't have to be just about filmmaking. I agree. So that, I think, lead into the Rooney Rule. Okay, tell us about the Rooney Rule. Is it about well, Mickey we... Rooney? Is it about Rooney Mara? Is it about no. Wayne Rooney? I'm, about... I've exhausted my Rooneys. Well, we know Wayne Rooney likes his women. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, no. the Rooney um, Rule. So the Rooney Rule. What is the Rooney Rule? So, the, so one of the things she says is about the Rooney Rule. And that's a rule in the NFL. So in the NFL, the Rooney Rule stipulates that if a team wants to hire a coach from outside the organisation, what they have to do is interview an underrepresented candidate. And they're saying that we can apply that same principle to Hollywood films. 
So these top films, executives, agents can make sure that women and people of colour or underrepresented groups is what we're, t- we're, we're talking about, are not are not only on the consideration list, they're actually interviewed for the job. That's really good. So, so it, in the Rooney Rule, that's you said coaches. So is it in film, does it define what the roles are or does it just mean... No, I mean, literally, she's just very generically saying, okay, you know, guys, I've got four solutions here. We've got one, we've got inclusion right with A-list stars insisting on having those. You know, two, the Rooney rule. Let's have a think about doing that. I think she was talking more about doing it from a higher level. So, you know, I was talking about directors Mm -hmm. um, and about what she was saying about directors and about how, in particular with female directors, how you then find there are more female actors, crew, etc. then coming into film and being part of of that. Yeah, you start at the top and then Mm. it, it filters through. You hire women at the top and then suddenly you find more women are hired further down the chain. Okay, so we have inclusion riders, we have using, implementing the Rooney Rule uh, in hiring of high-level staff and perhaps other staff around the film industry. And you said there were two other things? What? Yes, and I'm I'm quite excited, but just add five. If we look at the top 100 films next year and simply add five female speaking characters on screen to each of those films, it would create a new norm. Oh, I am if so If we were to do this, this for three continuous years, there would be uh, there, there, we would be at a point where there's a gender parity in the first time in over half a century. You know, without sounding over the top, one of the things she said is it's not underrepresentation. It's quite it's, it's erasure. She said it. She calls it the ec- epidemic of invisibility, gender and ethnic cleansing within the world of a film. I know that that's coming. I know that sounds like woo. Hey, um, you're on the right podcast to preach here, so I'm go for it. Serious or, but I mean, you know, it's. But then, you know, do we want to sidestep not talking about something like that or using words like that when, you know, it's happening and this is part of what this is about and the inclusion and and what we're we're trying to do here, what we're trying to talk about in film? I think that when it comes to race... When it comes to race, she has a point. I think that when when it comes to gender, erasure is not the appropriate term because women aren't in those positions in society or in industry in real life or weren't and therefore it's probably reflecting what it is it goes back to my point so I'd say yes erasure particularly for race or minority groups I'm happy to say that I don't care if it's inflammatory it sounds like it's true but for gender I want to go back to my point which is cinema needs to be better than how the world is cinema needs to lead the way and tv Mm. Do you want to hear the last one? This is the last one. Go for last it. Last one. The consumer. You ah. and me. I know. We could be part of the solution. Oh, <laughs> this is good. Tell me how. So we need to support films with more women is basically what it's saying. Even if these are independent films in independent cinemas. And what she's saying is, 
okay, so you say, well, I don't know where. Look it up. She's saying look for listings. Look it up. She's saying, you know, contribute to films, film funding. I guess if that's really what you want to do, then cool. Um, I think I would use my money on something there are else. A lot but, of, um, but... There are a lot of Kickstarters and crowdfunded yeah. films. Um, have a look out there. It's quite easy to just Google search um what's out there and why not contribute to that one try and look for these independent films support them so that so that their box offices are better which then i think then promotes it more yeah look at contributing to small films independent films films with women um and also contacting film companies contacting um distributors production companies and telling them we want to see more women yeah we want you to be hiring more women this is what we want so those are the four things. We've got the Rooney Rule, we've got Inclusion Riders, we've got the Just Add Five, and we have You and Me, the Consumer. I love it. I would also add to that um, uh, add to that last one, uh, Netflix and Amazon Prime and w- wherever you get your movies and, and TV content um, at home. Um, you know, it's always very strange how Netflix, for example, collects its data, but if you're already paying your, you know, £6 or whatever it is a month, then why not spend some of that time surfing for underrepresented groups on there and watching some of those films? Um, because it's not going to cost you any more. Um, and my final one is that the, the Contrera Inclusion Rider, right here, right now, I, I'm a famous actress and I and or actor and um I thought you were you were making an announcement that you were yeah, famous yeah. actor. I've realised you're talking hypothetically. Yes, I am I sorry. I hear the intonation in the yeah. tone that I yes. you know, it's fine, okay I'm Hello, going, I am famous. a famous I've known a famous actress for all this time. Yeah. I did not know this. I'm a famous actor and I will only make this film if you have an inclusion rider which says it must pass the Bechdel test. <gasps> I absolutely love it. That's what Beyond Bechdel's for. We're here to help. Thank you so much to Nikki Morris. And if you'd like to learn more about inclusion riders or have any questions about anything legal, film or feminism wise, then please email us at beyondbeck at gmail.com or tweet to us at beyond underscore Bechdel on Twitter. Playing Us Out is a sample of the soundtrack from Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which is the whole reason why we're discussing inclusion riders in the first place. Thanks. Till next time. Bye.